What's up, everyone? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Three Things Podcast. This episode was super fun. My dude, Rob Aguero Hoffman, who was on a couple episodes ago, pretty recently, hit me up and said, hey, why don't we flip the script and I ask you the three things? Having never done that, instantly said yes, we made it happen. I don't have much of an intro because this really isn't my podcast. It's Rob's first ever podcast, so I get all the credit for all of Rob's future success, royalties included. Um, Shout out to Rob Aguero Hoffman. But this episode was a lot of fun. Rob asked me three things. You'll have to stay tuned to listen to the whole thing for what those three things were. Then he hits me with a speed round, which is, again, the most fun thing I think I've ever been a part of. It's a good time. So um, thank you so much for tuning in this week, and I will see you all next week. So this is Rob Hoffman, Rob Aguero Hoffman, for my mom who's listening, um, on the Three Things podcast. And we're going to flip the script today. And I'm going to start firing off questions to Casey, because I know a lot of the listeners are curious about what he has to say. Um, and he's never been on the other side of this. And it's a really fun podcast to be a part of. Um, so I want to see how he's going to respond to that, along with the speed round slash what I like to think of as the... Uh, the spit hot fire round. Um, shout out to the Ch- the Chappelle show, you know? Um, so Casey, I got, I got four questions for you. I'm going to change it a little bit. Um, okay. Not for like of the three things, but four questions for you for your, in- your, your introduction, if you will. Sure. So sure. who are you? What do you do? Where do you do it? And then why did you start doing it? You are such an OG listener. It's amazing. Um, this is going to be so much fun. So I'm excited. My name is Casey Lee. I'm a Northern Vermont based strength and conditioning coach. I've uh, lived in Vermont my whole life. I was born and raised in a very small town named Heinsburg. When I was born, it had one stoplight. Now it has four. So it gives you guys a good idea of maybe how small it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really up and coming area. Um, <laughs> actually, for those that maybe are more adverse with um, Stowe area, Burlington area, I am kind of smack dab in the middle. I'm probably 45 minutes from... Church Street, Burlington Marketplace, and 45 minutes from Stowe Mountain Lodge. So Northern Vermont definitely doesn't suck. Um, And that's kind of where I reside. So I went to school in upstate New York for business, business administration, and kind of concentrated there in analytics and um, stats. So it was kind of a numbers nerd. And while I was there, I ended up kind of having my own transformation as far as weight loss and just kind of coming to fruition in, in the world of health. Um, and ended up dropping about 55, 60 pounds between my freshman and sophomore year, which led me to basically stop everything that I was doing and get a job in the gym there um, while I was still working at school or still going to school and whatnot. But um, they, SUNY Plattsburgh had a health fitness major that was just starting my junior year, but I'd already completed two years of school at that point. So I'd stuck with the business side of things picked up classes that I was able to take in a personal training minor, um, which I was like the last class to ever do that. Um, So it was a nice little mix, worked in the gym, trained some professors, trained some athletes. And then when graduation came, didn't really want to do the business route and was very fortunate that the gym that I worked at when I was home on break, uh, the edge in in Chittenden County area, if anyone's listening to this from the area, that's that's the edge is the biggest gym you'll ever see here. and then they were opening a Parisi Speed School. So I literally graduated on a Saturday, 
uh, kind of got my shit together. And then the next day flew to Fairlawn, New Jersey and went through kind of the Parisi Academy, so to speak. So I was doing the online prep work while I was taking finals, um, got on a plane the next day after graduation and my first ever, and I love saying this because people sometimes know who these guys are, but my first ever training experience outside of school was with Martin Rooney and Bill Parisi for seven days. And those two are probably massive juggernauts in the industry. Um, having to spend time or being able to spend time with Martin Rooney. I mean, that dude is like on fire all the time. And Bill Parisi, like, I think that was like a big kind of like a, a nice introduction to the industry because it was two dudes that have done it at a very high level and still do it on a very high level, but really have kind of chopped wood long enough that you got an eye opening experience as to what it needed, what needs to be done to be successful. Um, and then I just kind of started the commercial gym route, still do the commercial gym route, started as a basic personal trainer, started as a performance coach. I actually coached almost all of the little kid classes in Parisi. So I worked with exclusively seven to 12 year olds, um, probably for the first year that I was there. And nine years later, all those seven to 12 year olds are now 16 to 20 year olds. And, uh, we kind of have grown together. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, I now oversee the personal training department, the Parisi speed school and our group training class training for warriors. So it kind of brings everything full circle, starting my career learning by Martin Rooney and now working in, in a methodology that he's created um, and kind of do a lot of the back end fitness operations as well. So I have my foot in the business side. I have my foot in the service side and um, my why has been just to always help people realize that they can do anything that they want. Because until I did that for myself, um, I have was kind of in a, questionable place. I was a shitty student. Um, I cared more about probably myself in the wrong ways and then um, kind of took my life into my own hands and have been trying to run with that message ever since. That's my who, what, when, where, why. I love it, dude. I got to say too, so here's the funny thing. I've known Casey now for a while since we started Strength Faction, as you may have heard in the, pre the previous podcasts. We got paired up as accountability buddies and now we're like, you know, heterosexual life mates for lack of a better term we touch butts we we do touch butts a lot um you know virtually more than anything right now but that's all right virtual, but that's the first time i actually i actually kind of got to know your why behind like why you do what you do then like sort of your backstory into how you even got into this field i'm kind of like i was thinking about that earlier i was like i don't actually know how casey kind of got started in this like i know he went to suny plattsburgh I know that you were at the edge, but I didn't know like sort of what your first step into the field was, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I feel like for a lot of trainers, people, rehab professionals, like it always comes from your own either strength transformation, weight loss transformation, injury transformation, like your own experience pushes you into this head first. And like, you know, it, it's always such an emotional thing that you go through and you're like, man, I don't ever want this to stop. So that was kind of my idea. It was like, I don't ever want to do this. Like, like I don't ever want, sorry, I don't ever want to do something that's not this and sitting in a cubicle really is, was never an option. I'm, I'm way too ADD. I would get fired from any cubicle job I ever had. Um, yeah. so that was, yeah, I understand uh, you there, man. <laughs> no, like I, I was not meant to sit at a desk all day long. I'm with you, man. Um, all right. Question number one. So you guys run a pretty badass internship program at Parisi. Um, you know, from what I understand and what I've gotten to see from, you know, the curriculum that you sent me and a couple of the other things, um, and I know one of the things that you do with all your interns is you have them come up with their own kind of like training principles and core values, something that you think that are kind of specific to them. You know, it's not the general kind of thing that everybody can just kind of put together. Well, I do this because I like people. It's, it's again, something that really resonates with them. 
how do you help those coaches and those potential coaches and interns kind of develop their own training principles and core and core values? Sure. Uh, I don't know if our internship is, is super badass. It's, it's, uh, it's been like two years in the making as far as like the first seven years I had an internship program, it was trash. Um, it was honestly, I probably did more harm than good, but the last two years we've kind of been able to figure things out a little bit better. Um, and I guess it starts from like the initial interview and all of our interns interview, uh, even though we are built into the university of Vermont, um, like exercise movement, science, uh, athletic training and, um, rehab studies. So like there, it's a big physical therapy school. We're built into that program and, during the initial interview, I always ask, I do two things. One, I want the interviewee or potential intern to meet our entire staff and kind of see what they're about because each person on our staff kind of has their own unique role, own unique niche, own unique um, perspective on the field. And then the second thing I do is I ask them what what got them into it and then kind of we spitball from there. And I go, so what would you say after these conversations, what would you say your purpose is. And it's okay if you don't know. Uh, But one of the things that I expect someone to get from 13 to 16 weeks in our facility is a clearer picture as to what they want. Or, and this is something that I always kind of say as far as core values can start from something you know you don't want. And I feel like at that age, when you're 20, 21, 22 years old, you might not necessarily know what you want, especially in an undergraduate education. But you might have a good and firm understanding of what you don't want, whether it be um, in a workplace environment, a culture uh, management style ahead of you. Um, it, it's just something that I think that most people don't get the, the option to learn about in school in a very structured um, regimented academic process that, you know, as far as like a, a movement science major or athletic training, physical therapy, basically your four years are laid out for you. It, it's something that I think is new to them. And, that's kind of an expectation that I set from day one. I think that that helps people kind of better understand how they should identify core values and what they are. Um, Because outside of the decision to go to college, this is the next big decision going into either a master's program, doctoral program, or they're going to start chopping wood, so to speak, and, and hit the ground running in their career. So something they should be rethinking about before they graduate are some of these key pieces that matter to them the most. So they know what those are as they graduate. That's really interesting too. You talked about how sort of, um, cause I know somebody's it's, people have asked me that before. And in the past, you know, I've almost felt like if somebody came to me and said, Hey, what's your, what are your core values or what are your, your, what's your training philosophy? Almost have that deer in the headlights, you know, feeling at first because you're just, you sort of never really thought deeply about it, but by helping them kind of work backwards by understanding like, okay, well, what are the things that you don't want out of this? Um, may allow them to shine light on the things that they do. That's an interesting sort of way to like reverse engineer it, you know? Yeah, I think that, you know, and this is maybe how I would classify myself at this point is I can be pretty bendy and moldy and there's a lot of things that I find that are very important, but there's probably a, a short list of things that I feel should not be happening that are very important as well. So the should not and things that, that, you know, in that realm, maybe have more of a negative connotation to it. But in this case, I feel like I'd being able to identify those negative factors to make sure they're not existing in a positive environment is important. And yeah, absolutely. Up to that coin. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I, I also find that, you know, there's, 
differentiate, you know, the, the idea of like core values and your training philosophy, your core values are sort of those things that really aren't, they never waver, you know, um, it's sort of like who you are as a person or as a coach. And they're not necessarily things like, well, I think everybody should squat or I think everybody should do this or that. It's sort of like, I've always, always kind of found it. It's like how I act as a coach and how I interact with members or clients, et cetera. But the philosophies, like you said, those can be bendy. Those can be shifty because yeah. you think you've got it figured out. And the second you think you've got it figured out, you know, you, the world throws you on your ass no. again. You go, no. oh, shit. You know, well, I better go back to the drawing board and learn this all over again. And that's that's kind of the beauty of being a coach or a teacher or whatever. You know? Yeah, um, it's always going to change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, do you ever have any experiences? I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that without this being the second question. Do you ever have any experiences with people who come to you thinking they've got these core values or these training principles you know, lined up? Or maybe not thinking that, but telling you that. And you kind of have to sit down and be like, well, are you actually living this? You know, like, have you ever had to have that conversation with somebody before? Not with an intern because I feel like, and, and I am an, and it sounds really weird, but I openly dislike interns in our gym. Um, okay. I, I understand that it's a very critical part to their learning. Um, and they spend a lot of time with me, but I've actually in the last year offset every intern that comes in here has a site supervisor. That's not me. Uh, so that I can take like a non-biased approach to their development and not deal with the like, things that maybe are problems in their life that probably aren't the biggest problems, but when you're 20, they are a big problem. Um, yeah. So I probably haven't had those conversations enough with the interns, but I have had those conversations with coaches on our staff, and personal okay. trainers on our staff, because it's, it's one of those where I think that like the phrase culture, core values can be misunderstood or misinterpreted as to what they really are. Um, I'm going through a presentation right now, um, creating kind of the, the final touches on a presentation for the Parisi National Summit this year, um, end of this month in Nashville. And it's on creating culture. And one of the similarities I make is how these things that, that businesses and philosophies are built off of can often be misunderstood. And core values are one of those where I don't think people really understand that, that core values are your ride or die. Like they're like the non-negotiable factors in your life that you have day in and day out. And it doesn't mean that when you make your core values, like it just, I think I'll backtrack here a little bit. When you make your core values, I think that they're simpler than people want them to be. So, or they need to be simpler than people want them to be. So to say you are, you know, you, you live fitness to the, my core value is I live healthy lifestyle to the fullest and then you're getting shit faced drinking six Vermont double IPAs on a Friday night. Like maybe that's not the best lifestyle. So maybe it's not that you need to change. You just need to change your core value language a little bit to really reflect the finer points that you do believe in as far as what a lifestyle might entail. So I, I don't know if it's, I don't necessarily know if, you know, with trainers, like if it's like a, a poo poo session, I think a lot of it is just saying, Hey, I think your core values are getting there, but they're still too broad. And because they're so broad, they're not the easiest to follow through on and just ask more questions and clarification in that realm versus have the sit down conversation and be like, you're a fucking idiot. These things are, you're not even doing what you say you're doing and kind of having that, that poo poo spin on it, but just kind of working with people to make sure that the core values are extremely simple. Um, you know, and then 
because as our mutual friend Todd Bumgarner would say, that your table of stable growth and your goal setting and everything that you kind of work around around mimics what your core values are saying. Cool. Long-winded way to get to the end of that. No, no, man. I mean, I asked a couple of questions to, to drag that one out too and see, I wanted to get a little bit more like insight into what you were doing with that. So that's, that's cool. All right. So you wear a lot of different hats now. You are a new dad. New dad. You host this uh, Three Things podcast almost every week. Um, I don't think you've missed a week, have you, since you started I, this? I have missed. I took eight weeks off in the summer and I missed two weeks when my daughter was born. And so oh, all right. I did 40, 40, three podcasts in 2018, but I have not missed a week since January. One of my goals this year was 52 podcasts every Sunday or Monday, get one done. Well, I mean, you've been super consistent as far as I can, can remember, like I said, so that's awesome. Um, director of the Parisi Speed School, coach, the PT manager at the edge too, right? Am I imagining yep. that? So I look that's at, sort of a newer position, right? Yep. That started in January, I managed the personal trainers as well. Cool. So how, how do you wearing all those hats kind of stay productive in all the facets of your life, like not get overwhelmed and basically just like keep your shit together. So <laughs> as you know, as a vet and strength faction, the last week uh, was probably the first week I haven't been able to keep my shit together. Um, but I was able to rebound nicely from what was a very stressful first three days of the week uh, where some un, unsolicited and unforeseen circumstances kind of took over my life as far as like just mounting stress goes. Um, but things that I do, I, I mean, one, um, I think that my goal setting has gotten a lot better. So knowing that I was going to be a new father, I spent most of the podcast last year talking to people who were dads in the industry. Um, people like Tony Genocore, people like Chris Merritt, um, and then actually now Tony Bonvecchio is a dad, so I should probably get him back on the podcast and talk to him about what that's like. But talking to people who are in the industry, even the trainers of the gym that I work at to kind of see what they, what they went through in the first year to kind of not be prepared, but because it's always different between situation to situation, but to just get an idea of what could help. And the biggest thing I took from it was vision and delegation. Um, Chris Merritt talked a lot about vision and Tony Genocore said, unload everything that you don't need to be doing. So kind of taking that in a very literal sense, um, I kind of upped my goal setting game. Um, and this is a another Todd Bumgarner. So second Todd Bumgarner reference on this podcast. Um, <laughs> what I do through my Shout out to the red devil. That's it, man. The, the red devil never heard him called that. Uh, what I do now, this is, this is what he, he says that he does. And I don't do it probably to the full extent that Todd does it. But what I do when I write in my passion plan or I make my, I basically outline the, the quarter and the month. So I don't do anything outside of the quarter, but I outline basically January, like going into this year, January, February, March. And then from there, I outline what needs to be done in each week of the month. And those are like the fixed operational tasks for each department that I need to, to manage, whether it be this podcast, whether it be um, Coach Casey Lee and some of the things I do through that. Um, the personal training department. We uh, started a new semi-private adult training model and um, and the Parisi Speed School. So basically like whether it was report running, following up with memberships, checking expired credit cards, making sure everything was up to date on our billing, all the little operational things had a certain 
point of the month and quarter, they were being done routinely. So when I knew all the fixed things had to be done, that allowed me to time block, um, which is another kind of productivity strategy I've been using um, to time block for variable things, whether it be meetings that arrive. Um, the, this past week was starting uh, quarter one reviews with the training staff. Um, these things that just kind of show up that maybe are 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours because of travel time off site, whatever it might be. But knowing that I knew when my, those, those kind of those, I, I say nagging operational things because they're probably my least favorite thing to do is run reports and then stare at numbers, but they need to be done. Um, I know when those are going to be done. So it allows me to kind of time block for the things that I need to be done that I don't know when they're going to happen. Um, and then as far as being super organized and productive in professional life, personal life now is an opportunity to be a personal life when I'm at home, whether it be in the morning, whether it be at night. Um, it's funny. My wife just said to me, like my daughter starts in daycare tomorrow. And she said to me, you know, you're not going to have the time in the morning to work on your website, which is, you know, four thirty to six o'clock in the morning was when I was doing a lot of content creation, editing podcasts, recording a solo cast here and there when I needed it. Um, working with a couple, couple consulting clients that I have on, on a business level outside of here. And then I'm now I'm just like, well, that's my personal time with my, my kid now. Like I, it's fine. I can totally find another time to do that stuff. And, and it's just kind of rearranging on the fly, which is why I don't do anything much more than week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter. Uh, because it just kind of helped as far as keeping my vision going and knowing what I need to be done and what that looks like. And then the second piece to that outside of physical productivity was delegation. Um, we promoted one of our coaches to an operations role where now she's doing 10 hours a week of, of uh, and it's not administrative work. It's, it's literally operational work, whether it be executing pieces of our marketing strategy, um, she actually manages an entire sales funnel as far as like um, kids that are on like a, a, like a punch card style or session based membership with us um, handling some consultations with new members and things like that. So it's, it was one of those of looking at my staff and saying, this is an opportunity for everyone. My hours are going to kind of dwindle and your hours are going to pick up and then making sure that everyone was kind of in the, the right seat of the bus and doing things that were part of their strengths. Um, you know, it, it's, that's a whole different conversation as far as strength and weaknesses go, but really just looking at what could be delegated and challenging my staff to say, Hey, this is on you now. Uh, I am definitely your liaison and, and your help, but you're the quarterback. I'm the center. I snap you the ball. You're telling me what play is going to be run. So um, that might not be the right sports analogy. <laughs> I never played football, but um, you know, basically saying like, I'm, I'm now just like the wide receiver who's going to catch the ball off the route that you call. Or I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but that's, that's what I've been doing in the last 12 weeks. It's working really well right now. It's a small sample size. Um, I got punched in the nuts this week as far as like just other shit that came up that just was stressful. It wasn't even like a, a dog on my product. I was still super productive this week. It was just that shit that gets in the back of your brain that makes your brain just not operate the way it should, but it's done. It's over with. And uh, we're moving on. Word. I like it. I mean, also the ability to just sort of uh, put that shit on the back, you know, behind you, you're, you're done with it. There's nothing you can do about it right now. Moving on to next week. Sort of, you know, That's it. Very, 
very Bill Belichick of you, you know, Ron to Cincinnati. It's Ron to Cincinnati. And one of the yeah. things um, Joe Gambino said on this podcast, cause he was going, he was, you know, getting married, doing a lot of stuff with his par four performance, doing a lot of stuff with his physical therapy uh, profession. And I asked him like, what is product tech? How have you been able to manage it all? And he goes, honestly, I'm just okay with starting something and not finishing. And I think that that has kind of clicked for me. It's been like, okay, I can take 15 minutes to start this and then I can take 15 minutes later and I'll know exactly what I'm doing when I finish it in the last 15 minutes, life will be good. And just kind of blocking time and, and just chunking it out and just getting it done and being okay with not starting and stopping everything in one specific session because that used to be me. And then that was a big frustration early in my career was I, I didn't have enough time and I had plenty of time. I just wasn't using it right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this question kind of piggybacks off of last week, but it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't directly related to it. Um, tell me about a time that you faced a lot of like adversity in your career and how you handled it, what you did well, what you wish you could have done differently or better, if anything. So adversity. So I can tell you there's probably been three points in my career where I either almost gave up on it or kind of, and, and this is something that I'm, I'm realizing now over the last six months, I kind of ran away from a problem that I wish I, I don't necessarily wish that I didn't, but I wish I had handled it better. Um, but I definitely view it now, like hindsight being 2020, definitely saying, Hey Casey, you, you ran away from that shit and, and you probably could have handled it a little bit better. Um, but as far as adversity goes, like I, I came into the industry, um, as a very young individual, I was 21 when I first started, um, as a, like a quote unquote, like professional. When I was in school, I, I was a trainer for three years, but I, I don't really count that. That was like, like the honeymoon phase because when you're in college and you can train professors for cash or you can, you know, work with a, a college athlete that has to train with you. Like it's not, it's not the same you get to kind of cut your teeth training, but you don't get to kind of see the business side of personal training and the business side of fitness. Um, I came in and I, I definitely had quite a bit of ego. Uh, like I think most young trainers go through is like, Hey, I'm the young energy. I am doing so well. Everyone else is either stale and I'm crushing. Like, and it was a lot of I, me, I, me, I, me to the point where I thought I could open my own gym. Um, I know this is something that we've talked about and I've, I've wrote about it more recently now, but basically I opened my gym because I thought I could do it better than the people that have been doing it for 50 years ahead of me. And like, just, it was a total one of those moments where, uh, I think, and this is like a theme in my life is where I was like, well, you know what? Fuck this. I can do it better. I'm going to go do it. And was totally ignorant to everything. And instead of saying like, I'm having a problem professionally where I work, and addressing that problem, I tried to run away from it and open my own gym literally in another state, not with, with any, without any contacts, uh, definitely not enough operating cash. And what ended up happening was I was just, I was really unhappy in that process too. Like I'm sure as you know, as a, as a new gym owner, like it's super fucking exciting to kind of see your dreams come to fruition. But through my process, it was like super daunting and as each step on the list kind of got checked off, I was like more and more stressed. And it wasn't like excited, nervous, challenging stress. It was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm ruining my life stress. And it kind of made me step back and look at 
kind of to your first point here of like core values and what was important. And, and I realized I was kind of going down a, the wrong path. And I was very lucky that the president and the, the owner of the health club I work for was working with me at the time as far as like he was super supportive with my vision and my ideas and whatnot. And we just kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I'm making the right choice. And he was like, well, we got this option here. And he kind of like laid out the option of to where I am now. And I was like, well, that, that's a pretty good option. And actually kind of fits with what my values are. And again, kind of coming to fruition of what a real core value and a core belief was. And, and we kind of like reestablished kind of what was going to happen, you know, with me staying in Vermont and whatnot in it. Hindsight being 2020, three years later has totally worked out. But to answer your question directly, like in times of adversity, I try to run away. And now that I kind of know that that's my go-to move, like fight or flight, I'm not fighting, I'm flying, I'm getting the fuck out of, I'm getting out of here. Uh, now I kind of have to have the self, the self-awareness to say, okay, chill, pump the brakes. You need to talk to someone who, who can kind of like draw it out for you. And that's where like, and this week is a great example in strength action where I, I start to face a little bit of adversity. I'm like, whoa, like what's going on? I reach out to the vets like, and, and it's now a community. And that's where having a valuable network of, of people who, are, who understand you as a human who have an idea of what your professional life looks like as far as the environment. And then they have the relatable experience to help you. Um, so now my go-to, uh, my go-to reaction to, to all the shit that I think of in between my ears is to just outsource it and find someone, whether it be you, um, Steph Allen is someone I reach out to a lot. Um, Mike Baranis, the Stoke Brogy, Todd, Chris, uh, the guys at strength faction, but the vets, you know, guys like Mike Dolan, um, Kristen Callahan, mutual friend, Matt Dolan. Um, Matt Dolan, shit. I, was, I, was thinking, I, think I had Mike. I think I had Mike Connolly in there as well. Um, yeah, you had a Matt bunch of people chatting. That's on that. a lot. Of, a lot of different names, and it's funny because like one of the first people who I reached out to was Mike Connolly because of his experience in a commercial gym and then his his time at FFC. Like it's just those a situation where like you just go straight out to just now. I just it reacts right. Go to the network. Who's your network? Who can help you? And it, like it's almost like a crutch, but it's not. But it gets to the point where you have that adversity, and you're like, okay, I don't need to face this alone. I can face this myself. I can face this with a with a team behind me, and that's where the network piece comes in, and it's huge. It's just so invaluable. Yeah, I agree. I, I second that. I mean, you know, obviously we sort of share the same network of people, or or I like to think it's sort of like a tribe. You know what I mean? Of like like a family, like a strength family, if you will. But I don't even know what um, it is, man. It's something, but it's it's got yeah, some, it's, it's got a punch like to it. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, we always have somebody like we have a team of people that we can bounce ideas off of. And I'd say to anybody that's listening, if you're, you know, a strength coach, you know, obviously Casey and I have a strong affinity for the strength faction. And, you know, I think we can benefit almost everybody in any, in any kind of any area of the fitness field, but find some kind of network like that, you know what I mean? Of people that you can talk to that will give you good, honest feedback about any situation. Because I think that, you know, like you mentioned the fight or flight response, I think more people would rather run away from, you know, adversity than, you know, fight or whatever, whatever we were talking about. I think most people try to avoid it as much as possible. And it's not always like the more you avoid it, the more it becomes a big hairy monster that you like don't want to deal with, you know? 
Yeah. Um, but having people that you can talk to about that shit and, and get advice on makes it so much less daunting and so much easier to like tackle whatever the issue is or just come up with a plan. You know what I mean? That's what it's about right there. Like you just hit the nail on the head, man. Like, do you just need something, someone or, or a group of people to help you get the plan going so that you can kind of turn around and, and, and face the tigers in the bushes and, and take that shit out, you know, not feel like you have to run away from your problems, which I, I still, to this day, like my first inkling is one, you don't agree with me. Fuck you. I'm out. And that's not the right way to take anything in, in stride. So now it's yeah. like, okay, you don't agree with me. I need a minute to kind of self digest. And I have some questions that I know who exactly I'm going to reach out to so that I can talk it out with someone and then I'll get right back to you. And we can have an adult conversation and handle this, um, this, this dilemma or this adversity and, and it'll come to fruition and everyone will win in the end. But um, kind of slowing the process down has been huge for me. Yeah, 100%. I think, I mean, obviously that's great life advice too, obviously, you know, have your, your friends, your family, your closest confidence that you can go to, but then from a professional perspective, the same deal, you know what I mean? Like have that network of people that are in the similar spot that you're in or, um, you know, or maybe are where you want to be that you can, you can talk to about those kinds of things. So for sure. Good, good answer, brother. All right. Long winded. So, That's why I don't normally do this side. Cause I talk, I'm chatty. I know I am. I'm dude, I think, I, are you kidding me? I, dude, our, our podcast, I think what it was like 48 minutes or something insane like that. And then I look fine. over and other people are done in like 20 minutes. That's fine. I talk I, a lot. You know, it is, it's three things. It's whatever. It's, talk it out. It's Get good it information. Though. Anybody that's listening to this is probably enjoying it. I don't think like, I mean, I hope it doesn't set, it doesn't feel like, oh my God, I just listened to this podcast for an hour or whatever it is. So, nah. so here's the fun round that as Casey likes to call it the, uh, the mullet part of the round, you know, business in the front party in the back. I'm going to call it the spit hot fire, uh, round it, the reference to dial on, dial on and dial on from the Chappelle show. <laughs> question number one, and this is sort of a three for a question. What is the best part about being a dad? What's the worst part about being a dad? And what is your favorite dad joke that you get to to unleash on the baby when they're a little older? Okay, so best part about being a dad is is when the first time your kid turns and looks at you and you know that they're actually looking at you and not just being a newborn baby looking anywhere they can turn their head. Um, that first time that your kid looks at you is like, it's, it's the best. Like it's, it, there's nothing that you can't even really describe it. But the first time someone looks at you and like knows it's you and you just kind of have that moment, that's the best part. It's not even close. The worst part about being a dad, I don't know. Like it's, it's not diapers. Those are pretty easy. I've like had, I, I've had drool in my mouth, vomit in my mouth. I've had to catch shit with my hand, like mid, mid diaper change. Um, I mean, it's like, there's the worst part is probably like, you have to like go to work and like, but it's, that's not even that bad because it just kind of redefines your why, but it, it's like, you have to go to work and you just you bring the baby with you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I kind of can get to bring my baby now. She's got yeah. daycares right in the same place that I work. So it's pretty oh, much, dope. Yeah. But like that wasn't there. I was for the four months. Like I went back to work after two weeks and I was like, okay, like I would text my wife, send me pictures of the baby, send me pictures, I need pictures because it's just like, it's like when you get a puppy and you just get to like hang out with your puppy and like pet the puppy. Like when you have a baby, you just get to hold the baby, stare at the baby, tickle the baby, all the baby stuff. Um, 
what was the third part? Best part, worst part? What what dad joke are you looking forward to telling Sawyer the most? Oh God. I mean, my dad joke game is pretty weak. PJ Strebel's dad game is really strong. Um, we can work on this. <laughs> uh, I typically right now, like I went, like uh, I've just been going into the daycare and just sizing up all the little boys and just being like, don't you even look at my daughter. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't really have like dad jokes. Oh man. All right. I don't know. We're, we're gonna, I just, I'm going to help you out with bad that. jokes. I just have bad. <laughs> jokes. I don't know if they're dad jokes or not. They're just bad jokes. There's plenty of good ones. I mean, there's like, why is the ocean blue? Cause all the fishes go bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, it's just a bad joke that I would totally, totally. Uh, You'd love, absolutely. Yeah, I just, I'm just. Have not... you ever seen an? Have you ever seen an elephant hiding in a tree? No. They're pretty good at it, aren't they? <laughs> there you go. See, I got you, man. I need to find like an Instagram account <laughs> and just study. I'm sure there are. Now, uh, have you gotten more comfortable holding babies since you've had one? Because I remember before before Jen was pregnant, we had talked about the both of us feeling like we love toddlers and other kids because they're indestructible, but babies feel so fragile. You kind of almost hold them like out to the side, like, oh, I just hope I don't drop this thing. And I have only held three babies, mine, my nephew, and then I had right before Sawyer was born, one of my former clients was visiting from out of town and she had her baby and I was like, hey, can I practice holding a baby on your baby? <laughs> and I held her baby for like maybe two minutes and I was just, I was like, this is too weird and I gave the baby right back. Um, yeah. So no, I haven't gotten any more comfortable holding babies. I can just tolerate holding my baby. But she's pretty Fair rugged. Enough. You're she's never like worried a, that you're gonna like like head control. She's pretty rugged, so I can. All right, she's sturdy. It's not yeah. like the head is just bobbling. Yeah, all it's over not bobblehead. Yeah, it's not. Happening. All right, fair enough. What is your favorite meal of the day? Favorite meal of the day is obviously breakfast or breakfast style food. Um, big egg guy, big French toast guy. Breakfast is always going to be the number one. My man, my man. Um, Again, another food question for you. I was going to ask you like what the best brand of ice cream is, but you're, you're a Vermonter. You're going to be loyal. Of course, it's going to be B and J's. So what's the best, what's the best Ben and Jerry's flavor? Ooh, set the record straight. Um, so my wife would tell you it's Cherry Garcia. I would tell you she's crazy. Um, you know, half baked has always been kind of my go-to, but the tonight dough is fantastic. Tonight really? dough and half baked fish food. Those are probably like right there on the Mount Rushmore of Ben and Jerry's flavors. Um, those are probably the top three in no particular order. Half baked, tonight dough and fish food. I feel like Chunky Monkey doesn't get enough love either. That's another one. That's like a classic. Yeah, it's, it's like that's what if you like go to the scoop shop and you like you don't want to eat like the whole pint. You just want a couple scoops of it. Um, but man, I crush, like if, if I, if, if it's a flavor that I don't think I can crush a pint of, it shouldn't even be a Ben and Jerry's flavor. If chunky monkey unfortunately is kind of like in that description. I don't know, man. I, I mean, I could, I could throw it down. I think every now and again, like, you know, the banana flavor, I wouldn't say it's, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it can hit the right spot, right? at the right time. <laughs> Just wait. Now it's going to be in the back of your head. You're going to have a craving for that chunky monkey, man. I don't ever see it. Honestly, I've been buying those really? the, the pint slices. The pint slices are where it's at. I just get the tonight down. I just eat a pint slice when I need a little. All right, man. That's all it. right. All right. Um, what fitness goals, if any, are you working on for 2019? Three by 52 is the only goal that I have this year as far as fitness goes. That's the Solid. only one. So three workouts a week, 52 weeks in the year. That's the only one. 
consistency is is probably one of the more important goals, especially as you get busy. So that's awesome. It's the only goal. And to be okay with working out three times a week has been mentally very challenging because it used yeah, to be well, five to seven. Now it's maybe three if I'm lucky. Yeah, 100%. So we, you referenced football uh, when you mentioned the – you know, I'm the center, I'm hiking the ball to the quarterback, or maybe I'm the wide receiver or whatever. And then I threw in the Bill Belichick quote, you live in New England. You're a Dallas Cowgirls fan. Explain I yourself. I have an aunt who raised me, not really raised me, but she was the Cowboys fan in the family. She has dubbed me a Cowboys fan. I have pictures of me as a young child wearing Dallas Cowboy propaganda, paraphernalia. Propaganda was right. All whatever you want to describe it, propaganda. So as long as I can remember, I've been affiliated with the Dallas Cowboys fan. And then when I was in college, I loved watching Marion Barber um, as he was their running back. In, like gosh, from like 2007 to 2010 ish. Um, the same time you make as, me feel so old. Well, yeah. his, uh, <laughs> his Minnesota. Uh, backfield mate Lawrence Maroney, former Patriot running back for like two good years. Um, you know, like I just, I just, that's just it. You know, and it's one of those where I just can't, I was really close when, um, you know, Jerry Jones is definitely an idiot. I definitely am not a Tony Romo guy. Um, I'm pumped that Jason Witten's coming back because he definitely sucked as an announcer for Monday Night Football. But <laughs> Romo's kind of killing it though. I gotta he, be honest. Oh, dude, he's I did not expect he's it. haunting me. It was the worst. I loved it. Oh, I'm just happy he I, was able to go to the Super Bowl this year and announce yeah. it. So I, 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 I can't believe that I'm saying that I really love him as an announcer and I never would have expected I can't that. Stand but... it. I can't stand it. My wife laughs. <laughs> and whenever she hears his voice, she's like, here you go. I'm like, and he does like all the CBS <laughs> games. There's just always, cause it's new England local coverage. It's always the pain. I'm loving it. it sucks. I'm loving oh, it. Sucks. I mean, you know, he, he gets a little too excited about, I mean, I, this is coming from somebody who loves Tom Brady, but you know, he gets a little excited oh, about, God, about so TV hard. 12, but other oh. than that, <laughs> Yeah, I'm a damn Cowboys fan. All right, fair enough. Last question of the uh, spit hot fire one, and we're putting you on the spot. You live three hours away from probably the best city on earth, Boston. Why don't you come visit more often? Uh, so I come visit, I typically get down there twice a year. Um, three hours, it's not that I, far. It is three hours, you're right. I typically, so every time I have gone to Boston, what I try to do is stop at our mutual friend PJ Strebel's place in Portsmouth and then continue on down. Um, I mean, I was there in October last year and then I was uh, there in the springtime at some point. I don't really know. That wasn't a glitch. That was me kind of stumbling on my words, but twice a year is typically the allotment that I go down to Boston. Um, I don't know. I mean, I went down to Foxborough and watched the Patriots game. So that kind of counts, but I didn't say hi to anyone. Um, you motherfucker. I know. I know. I think what I'm, so what I want to do is make the, the, the grand tour. Like I need to do like a long weekend and go to lift positive and then go visit our friends at Boston PT and wellness and yes. then go to RX strength training where everyone seems to be working now and then just yeah. kind of peruse around there and everything. So I definitely need to get down. I'm a motherfucker. Cause I only go down like two ish times a year. Just take a look. At, if you can grab like a week or five days or something like that, we can hit all the stops. No pressure or nothing, man. If I had a week off and my wife knew I went down to Boston, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she would kill me in my sleep before I even had a chance to turn the car on and let it warm up. You're, um, you know what? There's no way. And you, you, I have to be honest, you'd have that coming. Jen is wicked tolerant. Wicked very, tolerant. So very. 
Um, I understand. I, I get that. I get that. We'll Very. make sure that you guys come down. You said something like around like Mayish, maybe or something like that. At yeah, one point. like I think May would be May would be a really good good month for me to get down there. So I think it's going to be May, and then I was going to do something in the fall, and then Strength Action kind of leaked that they're having a Strength Action seminar in Sterling, Virginia. Uh, in mm-hmm. August, so it's probably going to be, I'm probably just going to go to that. So maybe like later fall, like October time again, yeah. Yeah, I like yeah, to yeah. pair it with continuing education stuff. So, um, if I'm going down, I like to con edit, get it going. So word. Awesome, man. Just All right, dude. Keep doing it. Keep chugging along. Keep going, man. Keep chopping wood, brother. That's it. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you later.